1 Corinthians 13, if we could turn there for a moment, please, and we'll go into prayer, we'll get into the word. Why don't you stand with me, whatever device you've got the Bible on, we're going to start in verse 8, and we're going to read down through verse 13, the moment my glasses stop fogging. Love never ends. As for prophecy, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three But the greatest of these is love. You may be seated. This is God's word. Father, we are thankful as we gather around your word this morning. We're thankful that you you hear and answer prayer. Um, Sometimes we don't, don't always like the answer, but this particular time we are grateful and we are thankful to you. We are thankful always. Sometimes we just need a little help in understanding how you work. But with this little Nora, we thank you, Lord, that you have blessed her with a new liver. We pray that it would take, that your hand would be upon her. Lord, that the name of Jesus would be glorified in this. We thank you for the doctors and the nurses. We pray your healing upon her little body, and we pray for peace for the entire family. Father, we pray for the family who, who obviously lost a loved one. The livers don't just come out of nowhere. So, Father, we pray for peace for that unknown family, for that unknown person, for whatever the situation was there. We ask, Lord, that your name would be glorified in the lives of that unknown family as well, that you would just make yourself known and that Jesus would be glorified. Thank you, Lord, that we can gather together this morning before you and we can lift up all of our concerns. Thank you for your word. We thank you for worship. We pray that you would just open up our hearts and our minds as we take a look at your scriptures this morning and we try to um, walk down the road that we need to to understand why it's so important to operate in the fullness of your Holy Spirit with all of the gifts active in the body. We pray your blessing upon this time, Lord. Pray that you would anoint my mouth and the words that you've given, that they would just go forth and be beyond just the, the babblings of myself, Lord, but that they would, they would be anointed of your Holy Spirit and that they would be used to transform all of our hearts and our minds because that's what your desire is, to conform us to the likeness of your Son. So we give you thanks this morning, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Another 32 minutes. If I could keep praying, we won't have to cover this. I'm kidding. Really, I am. It certainly wouldn't be time wasted. I've titled the message this week, real simple, Love Never Ends. Love Never Ends. I think that's a very important thing for us to remember. I think it's especially in the day and age that we're in, it's imperative that we realize that love itself is not a feeling. Gas is a feeling. (laughs) Love is a choice. Love is a choice. It's a choice that we make. It's an intentional thing that we step into. Love is an action. It's something we do. It's certainly not a feeling. If love was a feeling, we'd all be done for. There's days when my wife doesn't feel like loving me, and there's days when I don't feel like loving my wife, but we love each other nonetheless because we said I do some 32 years ago as opposed to I don't. So we need to remember that, that love never ends. And we're going to walk through that over the course of the next three hours before I let you go home. Because what I really want us to see is that the gifts are given to the church in order that we do two things, that we bring glory to God and that we edify 
one another. That we bring glory to God and that we edify one another. That is the express purpose of the gifts given to the church. In all that they are, they empower us to be active members of the local body and the congregation. Not passive observers, but active members in God's plan for this, our local church, as well as the global mission that God has us to be on until he takes us home or until he comes back and he sees us again. So when we open up the Bible to understand God's plan for us as his children, the overarching theme, the overarching understanding and key to Christian living from the beginning of the Bible until the end, the primary driver of his plan is love. And we we can talk about doctrine and theology until Jesus comes back, and that's a good thing. I enjoy that. But the overarching narrative from Genesis all the way to Revelation is the love of God for his creation, for his people, and wanting them to be brought home. His love for us, his command that we love one another to the point where we have to love our own enemies. That's a tough one. We have to wrestle through those. That billboard passage that we all see at every football game is what? John 3.16. For God so hated the world that he took out his punishment upon his son so that we could all somehow find our way home. That's what it says, right? You're all looking at me like I'm a little bit weird, which I probably am. But for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's the challenge that we have. God loved this world, which means we have obligations to it. He also pushed it even farther. In that great sermon on the mount in Matthew chapter 5, he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. You think he understands that he's dealing with people who are looking for an out? So he's covering all the bases on who it is we're supposed to love, making it very clear for us. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Why? Because love is the theme. In the high priestly prayer of John 13 through 17, Jesus' last night on earth, he says this in chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have loved one for another. Think about that for a minute. If the world is having a hard time understanding who the church is, if the world is having a hard time distinguishing between the church itself and the world, perhaps, just perhaps, we have an issue with loving one another. If we can't get it right, how do we think the world's going to get it right? That's the challenge that we have. By this, the whole world will know that we are his disciples if we have love one for another. If we pursue love first and foremost, then look for the gifts. If we take off after love and if we look for the gifts after, we'll be seeking them in the proper way and we'll receive them and use them in the proper way. To simply desire them to say that I've got this gift and I've got that gift and then set up the traveling road show where you can go and make money and go from this place to that place as if all of a sudden you were able to heal somebody once. That means everybody needs to come to you for that healing. That's the inappropriate way to do that is somehow that sets you apart as a self-seeking thing. It's a puffed up way of being if we're looking for the gifts in any other way besides glorifying God and edifying the body. You see, to know something, To just know it, it seems to me is a little bit incomplete. We all know a lot of things, but that doesn't seem to be the whole story. And Paul expands that in some places, especially in the Corinthian letters. He tells us that knowledge does what to us? It puffs us up. If that's all we have, it puffs us up. But love does what? Love builds us up. 
which means we utilize the knowledge in the appropriate way. It edifies the church and it glorifies God. That's why Paul wraps chapter 12 and 14 around this little chapter 13, and not just because 13 comes in between 12 and 14, but it's very intentional. He's trying to explain to the people in Corinth and then to us the way of love. You want to know how to function as a human being. You want to know how to function as a community of believers. You want to know how to take off into this world. You need to understand what love is and what love isn't. And we ended just before Thanksgiving some seven months ago, eight months ago already. I don't know where the year's gone, but thank the Lord we're still vertical and we're going strong. We worked through chapter 12 and we ended at verse 7 in chapter 13, just before we got into our Advent season and Christmas. And we discovered there that we were all uniquely different, uniquely different. Remember that, that each one of us has a gifting. Each one of us has a purpose in life. Each one of us is designed for a particular vocation, for a church community and for a family. I'm looking at Tom and I'm looking at Bill, two mathematicians. Don't ask me to do what they do. This is why I go to Bill, because I'm not. I'm not gifted in that, but he is. We all serve a purpose within what vocation we have, placed within a church community, placed within the family that we're in. See, he said in chapter 12 and verse 27, Paul says this, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Which means we are uniquely different and yet we are all tied together as one body working together as a unit, which we'll walk ourselves through. Now, for those of you who were here last week, Tim Keller's quote uh, about how the gospel brings us together and it doesn't force us to lose our individuality. I hope some of you remember at least last Sunday. Humor me and feed my ego a bit. The gospel itself never takes away the uniqueness of the individual. That quote's very applicable here. That's the biggest fear. You see, the body of Christ does not mean that we have to become something or become a part of something that forces us to lose our individuality. Like Michael loses who he is because now he's the follower of Jesus. He can't be who he's supposed to be. That's the lie of the enemy. And that's what the world believes and that's what the world tries to sell us in relation to giving ourselves up. The Bible tells us we can't do so many things. We can't do this, we can't do that. That to follow Jesus we're told, means losing out on every good thing, every fun thing, and being able to, quotes, be ourselves. Well, I don't know about you, but I know myself pretty well. And I don't like that self. That self destroys relationships. That self ruins a whole bunch of things that God wants to bless me with. So becoming a Christian, being part of a community, operating in that love that God gives us, is actually just the opposite of what the world tells us, isn't it? In Christ exercising the gifts which God gives by his Holy Spirit, you are, we all are, in fact, more ourselves than we could ever think to be. We are more truly human than we could ever be anywhere else. Why? Because we're being conformed to the likeness of his son. God knows the uniqueness of each one of you. And he has created you to be that way. And the closer you are conformed to Jesus, the more like who God created you to be, you are. So you are uniquely different being put in the body of Christ. And then being part of the community of believers enhances the gifts that you have when you use them to glorify God in whatever way possible, edify this body, and go out into the world and do our best to make this world a better place until Jesus comes back. 
to sit back, kick our heels, and say, well, you know, God's going to fix this in the end, so who really cares, is one of the most unbiblical things I've ever heard people say. Where are you going to live, the moon? This is God's good creation. Our job is to go out into the world and be the best image bearers we can. So with all that said, having walked us through what love is and what love isn't in the first part of chapter 13, we land at verse 8. That's where we go. And I kind of wish, as I was studying this, and I knew that we were going to have to attack this at some point, I kind of wish that Paul went right from verse 8 to verse 13 and skipped all the stuff in between. Because that stuff in between is what people have been arguing over for a couple thousand years as to whether this is something that is about today or not today or how many gifts are we supposed to be chasing after? Is it functional in the church? Is it not functional in the church? Is it purposeful after the apostolic age? I could go on and on and on and make you feel like I'm really smart, but I'm not. The reality is this, is that how I see it is that we are not here to argue whether the gifts are for today or not for today. We're going to go on the assumption that we all understand that the gifts of the Holy Spirit, until Jesus comes back, are available for everybody who seeks them. And the Holy Spirit gives to who he wants. How do I know that? Because that's what the Bible tells me. So we're going to, we're going to start with that assumption that we're all on the same page. If you're not on that page, that's all right. Give me a call. We'll have a conversation. And we'll probably agree to disagree. Or I'll change your mind because you won't change mine. Because what Paul is doing here for us through this letter to the Corinthian church, I'm not being flippant, by the way. I've just studied this enough to know that I'm, I'm not who I need to be unless I'm full of the Holy Spirit and the gifts are operating. But through this letter, Paul is setting the gifts within what I'm calling their purposeful content or context. In their purposeful context. The big fat word to be used there is the eschatological context in relation to the end things and the end times. He's setting them on the timeline of what their usefulness is, i.e. the here and now, where we are. We can't really tackle this text as if Paul were minimizing the gifts of the Holy Spirit or teaching that they're not for today. We can't do justice to a text like this if that's the route we go. In my opinion, in my studied opinion, we can't do that. He's actually defining for us their timely intent in the long view of eschatology between the now and the not quite yet when Jesus comes back. In other words, they are for the present in-between moment where we live until Jesus returns. From the ascension when he went to heaven until the day we see him come back on the clouds, we are in the last days. That's what Joel taught us when we, we, we handled that on the day of Pentecost. Yes? Okay, so that's where we are. And that's what they're purposeful for. The gifts are a signpost, as it were. A signpost for us, pointing us towards perfection. See, that's the goal we're shooting for. And it's the helpful for us. It's meant to build us up. It's meant to edify the church. Every one of these gifts operating as they ought to. And we need to remember that Paul is writing a letter to a church who wrote him a letter with a whole bunch of questions in it. And they were looking for answers to a whole bunch of different things. They asked him about church life. How are we supposed to function? They asked him about marriage. They asked him about gifts, as we're going to look at. About the Lord's Supper he had to address them on. How we discern the Spirit. How do I know this is the Holy Spirit versus not the Holy Spirit? All of these things were put before Paul. And I know this because of how he writes the letter. 
Now, I'm going to throw these at you, but I'm only going to read a couple of them. It's up to you to look these up, and I think it would be good for you if you did. Chapter 5 and verse 1. Chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Chapter 7, verse 1 and verse 25. And chapter 8, verse 1. Chapter 5 says, it's actually reported that there's sexual immorality among you. Chapter 6 and verse 1. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare to go before the law? Dare to go to the law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Chapter 7, now concerning the matters of which you wrote. Paul's addressing specific questions that they have. So it's good always to remember when we tackle a text to remember the context. Don't lift it off the page and park it over here and try to make sense of it. The context of what we're looking at. He seeks to define the gifts and their appropriate uses and place within the local body believers and then globally how it works for us he emphasizes at the beginning of verse 8 here the universal principle that what love never ends love never ends it will always endure as the eternal truth of god that is the one thing that doesn't change. In contrast, he then lays out for us and he makes clear that the gifts have a finite purpose. They're not never-ending. On the timeline of history and in the end of all things, they have a, a finite purpose. Love never ends. As for prophecies, Paul says, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will Pass away. See, prophecies, while they're very purposeful for us now, and they are, they serve to point us where? They serve to point us to the one about whom all of the prophetic utterances in the Bible point to, who they reveal for us. They also point us away from ourselves and towards who? Christ. Away from ourselves and towards Christ. Why? Because in doing so, we see Jesus as King and Lord, and the church in that is built up in our deeper and better understanding of who Jesus is. I think it's important that we take the time to really walk through that. See, people who seek out the gift of prophecy so that they can go and tell everybody they have the gift of prophecy probably are not going to get the gift of prophecy because it isn't about revealing who Jesus is. It's about themselves. Tongues as well will cease. They will cease. They have not ceased. Understand that there are secessionists out there who believe that all of these have just stopped with a big full stop. Tongues will cease, but not yet. See, the angelic language of prayer, as well as the corporate use of tongues for interpretation that we're going to walk through over the course of the next six weeks, for the building up of the church, will no longer be needed then. But it is needed now. It is necessary now for us to be fully functioning in what it is God has for us. See, Paul tackles prophecy, he tackles tongues, and he tackles knowledge here as the primary modes of God building up the church in the here and now, in the present. Especially in Corinth. Because if ever there was a church that existed on planet Earth who figured out how to do everything wrong, guess what? These were his problem children. If there was a way to do something incorrectly, Corinth did it incorrectly. He loved them to pieces, but boy, if there was a left turn and a right turn and left turn was wrong every time, the blinker was on nonstop. <clears throat> he just kept going that way. See, these gifts help us. 
in part now to understand what in the end will be fully known and revealed. That's why God poured out his spirit. So that we could have these things, so that we could know him better. And we could serve one another in this world better. And Paul continues on with his analogy, as Paul is very good at doing so, with the now and the not quite yet, by using something we all ought to be very familiar with and something we are all very comfortable in, I think. And that is, guess what? How a child functions. When I was a child, Paul says, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Now, I want you to hear this, because here's where some people say, see, that's why it's not for today. You're supposed to be mature, and we don't need these things. No, what Paul is not saying here, what Paul is not saying here is that the chase after these gifts makes you childish. It's not at all what he's saying. Remember, he's placing these on the timeline of from the ascension until Jesus comes back. We ain't there yet, so we're still little children. Okay? So he's not telling us that the chase after these things is childish. And really what you need to be doing is shooting for that spiritual maturity, you know, so you get your doctrine just right. Now trust me, I'm all about doctrine. Anybody who knows me knows that I'm all about doctrine. We need the meat of the word, people will tell you. You don't need all of that hokum and that funny stuff. Just need the meat of the word. You've got to write it down. Get the doctrine all down. None of this childish chasing after the wind and all of that stuff. You ever had a conversation with somebody like that? Maybe it's just me, but I have. And I'm not being disrespectful at all. I fully respect their position. I just think that they're wrong. And that's okay. They think I'm wrong. So we love each other, have coffee, eat dinner, and go home. We have to be careful. That's not what Paul's telling us. They don't serve zero purpose quotes for mature Christians. We grow in maturity as we look after them. Because that's what Paul is saying, is that they actually do serve us. That's what Paul is trying to get across. We actually grow up better. We become more mature when we are gifted in these things, when we begin to use these things. You see, we need both heart and head functioning in the game. One of the things that I constantly hear from people who do not believe the Bible, who want nothing to do with Christianity, is this. You check your brains at the door and you believe all kinds of foolish things without any evidence. Well, right there is a human being who has never opened up the Bible and actually genuinely studied it. Christianity is as much about what I think as about what I feel and know. In fact, what I feel and know is run through what I think. And Paul is adamant that we make sure we walk through those. We need both the heart and the head. If we have one or the other, without both, we have problems. We have a free-for-all or we have a snoozer. It's one or the other. Where there's total chaos or there is nothing but staunch liturgy. Where we don't go anywhere else. So you can have all the head knowledge in the world and still not have a softened heart to understand the tender love of God. We have to be careful not to be so head smart and miss the tender heart of God for humanity. You see, we can win an argument for the cause of Christ and leave a human being figuratively laying on the ground, bleeding, walking away, and I was right. Where's the heart of God in that? Where is the love of God in that? Nowhere. Nowhere. We have to have both. 
We need to have a good and deep understanding of God's word that brings us to maturity as well as a loving, tender heart that helps us to understand how to apply what we know. You with me so far? I know this is not normally how I preach, but there you have it. We have to know how to apply what we know. That's wisdom. The Bible tells us to seek wisdom. And the gifts lead us into that. You see, it is one thing to know and understand, and for the record, I didn't know this until I was told this, so you take it for what it's worth. It is one thing to know and understand that a tomato is a fruit. It's another thing to know that you don't put it with pineapple, watermelon, and grapes and serve it to your guests. One is knowledge. The other is wisdom. I know it's a fruit. My brains tell me, don't put it with the pineapple. Make a BLT out of it. That's wisdom. We need to sort these things out. We need the gifts for that. You see, this section is as much about proper perspective and wise application as it is about growing in maturity. We cannot be out of balance. We need both. The gifts are good and necessary in this age to come. We learned that on Pentecost Sunday. If you weren't here, go online, go to our website, listen to it. I'm told it was good. I'll trust who told me that. We live in the in-between, don't we? That's where we are. We live in the in-between, the now and the not yet, where Jesus has ascended and the Holy Spirit has been poured out in order that we can live as God has always intended us to until we return, and he has equipped us to do so. The gifts are what it is he's equipped us with. That's why we need the gifts. It's like there's certain things that children need and do. Anybody who's had a kid or who's been a kid understands there are certain things that kids need and that kids do that adults don't or shouldn't. Am I right? We grow up out of those things. They're childish things. They're perfectly acceptable and expected of children. Why? Because they're children. But as a parent guides, as a parent teaches, as a parent encourages, edifies, builds up, and speaks into the life of that child, they begin to grow into adulthood through shortcomings, mistakes, successes, all kinds of things. That's why we have the gifts, so that we can grow up into what it is we are called to be, hopefully leaving behind all of those things in their childish ways. See, as God's children living in this now and the not quite yet, the gifts are given for us and to us for exactly this purpose, to grow us to maturity. That's how we get there. And Paul opens his letter to this church this way. In verse 4, he says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. But now let's skip down to verse 7 because one of the purposes that he wrote this letter for was this. In order that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. To say that Paul teaches that the gifts were limited to a specific time and place, I cannot adhere to. He says again at the start of chapter 12, we learned last fall. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be what? Uninformed. I want you to understand what they're for. The gifts are to encourage. The gifts are to edify. They're to open the window to our heart. 
in order that the Lord can speak to us. They're to open up the window to the heart of God for his people and for this world. This self-absorption that we see so often is just sickening. I want, I want, I want, gimme, 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 I need, I need, I need, I need. That's consumer mentality that I don't think the Lord's too happy with in me or anybody else for that matter. What about having just the word? That's another argument. We need just the word. We don't need anything. Just the fundamental word. We don't do anything that deviates from thinking about just the word. That's all we need. How about all of the abuses and all of the weirdos that roll around on the floor laughing and cackling like chickens and barking like dogs and running around like they're doing laps on a track? I get all those questions asked of me when I go to Middlebury College. You know why? Because those are the videos they find online. Pentecostal church service. And you got all kinds of crazy going on that even I in all of my years as a Pentecostal haven't seen. And I've seen some strange stuff. How do we know that's the Holy Spirit? How do we know it's not the Holy Spirit? And the all-famous question that I get, what gives you the right to decide? Well... Three points. The word for a start. That gives us a right to decide. And that gives me a right to decide. We absolutely need the word. It's essential. Core value number one for me, and it ought to be for everybody who follows Jesus, is that the Bible is my guidebook for life. Paul goes to great lengths for us everywhere in the New Testament, but here in 1 Corinthians, to map out some good guidelines for us to understand how the Holy Spirit operates and how he doesn't operate within the community of believers. The gifts are given to remember what? Glorify God and to edify the body of believers. If what is happening at any point, in any service, at any time, it does not line up with that, I don't care if you can find a verse in Zechariah that says we roared like lions. Garbage. Garbage. If it doesn't line up, if it distracts away from the body being edified and brought into the presence of Christ, if it distracts from glorifying God, and it doesn't line up with the principles that Paul gives us, we are stepping outside the bounds of what God has called us to do within the confines of the local congregation. They have to line up with the written and revealed word of God. And trust me, I'm a Pentecostal, but I love the word because it's all I've got. That's what God gave me. So when I see people behaving in ways that are way outside of these bounds and giving me one or two verses here or there and saying, you have no right to tell me I can't because I'm reading that that way. You're wrong. And not because I've got a fat head, but because we all ought to know the complete story. The gifts operate within the complete story not just in my own little way. And that leads to number two. Number one, we have to have the word, and number two, the pastor's responsibility. Trust me, this is a frightening thing. The pastor's responsibility. That doesn't eliminate your responsibility as a priesthood of believers. In other words, only the pastor has the ear and the mind of God, and only he can say this and he can say that. That's not what it means. But you see, it does mean that the pastor, having been set apart, and called to preach and to teach as I have been, as Paul has been, as any pastor has been, is responsible to the best of their ability to teach rightly. That is what we have been set apart for. The pastor is responsible before God, not only for what is taught, 
but for those to whom it is taught. We have to be careful. You are not excused from taking what I say and going home and opening up your Bibles and going, is what he said true? That's your job. To be prayerful before the Lord and say, is what pastor said today true and right? Does it line up? Or did he hit his head? Is he gone off the rails? Do we need to have a conversation? But I answer for you as much as it is responsible to me as your pastor. That's why I study as I do. I'm not trying to impress anybody except the Lord. I want to make sure that what I'm teaching is correct. And that's why it is absolutely essential that you pray for your pastor and for all pastors everywhere. We carry a burden that nobody else carries for the body of Christ. And it is our job to make sure we teach rightly. And then third, number one, we need to understand the word and the context. Number two, the pastor's responsibility within that, plus yours as a priesthood of believers. And number three, never judge a system by its abuses. Never judge a system by its abuses. There's always going to be people who go pear shape on you. Never fails. When you get a bunch of human beings together, some of us are going to get a little weird. It just happens. So we don't need to spend too much time on that, but let's not judge a system by its abuses. Paul has every desire that they and us know that we are equipped and living for the life or living out the life that Christ gives us in a way that glorifies God. You see, when Jesus comes, he will clear everything up and the fog will be lifted. That's the promise that we have in Scripture. For we now see in a mirror dimly. Kind of like my glasses right now, they're fogging at the bottom. I'm having a hard time here. We see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. I love that. We will see Jesus face to face. That's a promise. All of our questions will be answered. Every single thing in this life that makes zero sense will make complete sense. Why? Because what we see now dimly, we will know fully. Now, how do I know that's going to happen? I don't really know. Except it says it's going to. It's still a bit unclear to me. It's unclear to you. But we know that we can trust that God has said through the Apostle Paul that all of these things will make sense to us. Right? I stand on that. The gifts help us get there. I think this is some good foundational stuff as we dig into chapter 14 over the next six weeks. But you see, once we get there, or once Jesus comes back here, whichever comes first, rest assured, we're all going to die. And also rest assured, Jesus is coming back. I don't know much, but I know those two things. I'm going to die but I also know that Jesus is going to come back. He may come back before I die. He may not. But those two things are assured. Until then, we have to understand that we aren't there yet, which means the gifts are vital and important for us. And then he ends this little section with something that I've been wrestling with all week. And if you'll allow me, we have the time. I want to try and flesh this out a little bit. So now faith, hope, and love abide. 
It's a beautiful verse. I love it. Faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But then he says, but the greatest of these is love. Faith, hope, love. And I'm looking at that, I've been wrestling with it all week because I want us to get an understanding. I know it's only one verse, but it's, it's a powerful verse to me. And I think Paul's very intentional here. We need to get an understanding of why love is the greatest. Why there's faith, why there's hope, but yet why love is what is an eternal thing and the other two aren't. Love remains eternal. Well, the writer of the Hebrews in chapter 11, verse 1, tells us what? He tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for. What's substance? Substance is something that's tangible. Think on that. Gifts. Something that's tangible. Our faith is not in something that's unreal. Our faith is not in something that we we can't understand. I have faith because I wasn't there to see Jesus raised from the dead. I have faith because I wasn't there on the day of Pentecost, although I have experienced Pentecost. I wasn't there to see him ascend. But based upon the evidence, my faith gives me, guess what? Hope. Hope that endures. Why? Because my faith tells me that this Jesus lived, died, rose, ascended, and is coming back again. Proof of that is the fact that I have gifts that I can seek, that I see God working in and through. The substance of my faith is not thin air. The substance of my faith is the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, all of those things. Why are they going to be no more and love yet endures? Well, let's think on this. Our faith, when we see Jesus, will be fact. I don't need faith anymore because I see him. So my faith is not necessary because it's a fact that my Jesus stands right in front of me. That's a fact. I have been hoping. Well, hope is always cured by what? Fulfillment. I waited 19 days in hope that my wife's plane would land in Boston. And let me tell you what. That was fulfilled when she came around the corner. I had nothing but faith that the plane would get there and the hope that she would turn that corner with my granddaughters and my daughter-in-law. But when I saw her, my hope was fulfilled. My faith became fact. I grabbed her, I grabbed my granddaughter, and it was right there. You see, so faith and hope, while they're phenomenal... When we get there, guess what? We don't need them. However, love is eternal as a fruit of the Spirit. Why? Because that is what God is. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And if God is eternal, if God is love, love, therefore, has to be 
eternal. Faith will become fact. Hope will be fulfilled. And we spend eternity loving the one who loved us enough to die in order that we could find a way home. So I leave that with you. I went a little over, but if I could have the worship team please come. The substance of our faith, the hope, stands right in front of us, and his name is Jesus. We won't have anything left at that moment in time but the love for our Savior and our King. Those who are willing to be in the corners for the prayer team, please, I would ask that you come forward. See, the gifts are a wonderful thing. Paul didn't write just a nifty marriage thing, did he? He told us that love was absolutely essential. We operate there. Now he's going to take off down the road of, okay, my kids, framed out in this love piece, now I'm going to show you what it looks like to be a part of the body of Christ, operating in all of the gifts for my glory, for your edification, all of those things. Stand. Again, I don't quite know how to end today, but let's just bow our heads. I want to encourage you with the altar open today for those of you who perhaps need to just take some time to be up here. I pray that you would do so as we close in this last song. But I also want to challenge you. Again, if you struggle not so much with the gifts, but with how much the Father loves you, I don't want you leaving here today without spending time in his presence so that he can remind you as his child how passionately he loves you. That sometimes means we need to lay things at the altar that keep us from being everything he wants us to be. But I want to challenge you today to step out, step out in faith, knowing that he has what's best for you. For anybody here today, I don't know everybody's heart, although I know most people here, but I don't know everybody's heart. If you have not given your life to Christ, if you have not stepped into that relationship that says, Jesus, I know that I have missed the mark. I know that I have made a hash of my life and that the only way that it can be fixed is to come to you as King and Lord and Savior. I want to give my life to you. I want to challenge you today. I'm not looking for hands in the air and to make you come down, but I do want to suggest that as a community of believers, we are here to pray with you. And that to step into the giftings and into a body of believers is to trust that we can pray together. And one of the most important prayers you can ever pray with somebody is to say, Lord Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my heart. I give you everything that I am because I can't continue the way I am. My life has been sinful, it's been broken, but I know that you can fix that. If I just step into relationship with you, I want to challenge you. Don't leave here today if you have never done that, to do that. We give you thanks, Father, as we close in this last song that the name of Jesus will be glorified in this and all that we do. Jesus. Intro. Three, four, five, six.
us, you would fill us with your presence, you would help us to see what it is you have for us to be doing, not only in this world, but Lord, in our families, in our community here, at church, what gifts you have for us. I pray, Lord, that we would open up the scriptures and we would be seeking your face in order to glorify Jesus. We pray your blessing upon this day, upon the rest of this time that we have together that you would just allow your spirit to minister to us, Lord, in the way that that we each need. We give you thanks as we leave here in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed. Every heart that